1: Welcome to this episode of Tea with Twiggy. It's great to have you here. This is a podcast where I catch up with friends and people that I find fascinating. I check that they're doing okay and ask for tips to help us stay at home more comfortable. My next guest is the creator and producer of the hugely successful Mamma Mia! series on film and in the theatre. She is my friend, the lovely Judy Kramer. Oh Judy, thank you for doing my podcast. Hello. How are you?
0: Oh my darling, thank you for asking me. It's so thrilling to be asked and uh flattering and gorgeous and just to speak to you.
1: Oh, I know. Isn't it weird? Have you been okay all through this?
0: Yeah, I think so. I've been okay. I mean, definitely very okay compared to so many, so many people. Yeah. Um, so um Yes, I think the sunshine has helped, but um, no, it's been a weird, a weird time.
1: Well, for the well, for the whole
0: world, right?
1: Before we go yeah. on, have you got your cup of tea?
0: I've got my tea. What have you got? Well, I'm a big lemon and uh, ginger with a lot of manuka honey. Oh,
1: that's what I'm drinking right now. I just took a oh, sip. Oh,
0: I love it. I mean, I could, I could bathe in manuka honey. So it probably isn't, you know. <laughs> It, it's not as healthy. Mind you, manuka honey is meant to be really good for you.
1: It is. Especially if Actually, you sing. <laughs> right at the beginning of this awful COVID thing, there was a big thing about you should eat manuka honey every day.
0: Well, I think it has properties in it that keeps, yeah. Your well, immune that, I, I just system, t- yeah. Yes, definitely. So I just drink a lot of it. But no, it's my favourite. I like, I like um, British rail tea too. But Yeah, I good like old builders. Else, honey. builders yeah exactly with a lot of sugar anyway
1: (laughs) well I was thinking this morning I thought I'm going to talk to Judy the last time we've got to tell this story the last time we saw each other right we hadn't seen each other for ages and then we we made a date a girly date to go to um uh, where did we go
0: we went to the Colbert oh Colbert in
1: Chelsea yeah for for dinner
0: we were, yeah, we planned it, I can't remember, sometime around Christmas we were planning and then we planned it for January, we couldn't make it, and we planned it for February. That's right. And it was going to be you, me and Lee.
1: And then Lee was stuck in the country because we were in the middle of selling a house and everything. And then we were, well, we were halfway through our, our main course having a jolly time. And I got a phone call. And it's weird because I usually turn my phone off in restaurants and I forgot that night. And it was a phone call from my son-in-law saying, Carly, my daughter, had gone into labour and they were on their way to the hospital and they needed to drop their my little granddaughter, their five-year-old, with me, you know, for the night.
0: (laughs) And you were very... And I knew the call because you'd said to me, you know... Carla's expecting any minute, you know, probably in a week or something. Mm. And we got our first drinks in. We caught up a bit. The menus came. Of course, this was pre-lockdown, where everyone's screaming and shouting in restaurants and talking right. over each other and everything. And your phone goes, and I know something's happened. I know it's not bad news; it's good news. But you calmly say to your son-in-law, uh, um, you calmly say, "Well, we're just going to order." And then I'll be there. And I'm like, <laughs> what? The and you said, oh, they'll take 40 minutes to get to my apartment before they go to the hospital. So we might as well have a call.
1: <laughs> I know. It's unbelievable. I mean, I, I, I've never eaten a steak so quickly in my life, I have to say. <laughs> And then when we went out, it was biblical rain. It was bouncing off the pavement and I didn't have an umbrella. Actually, the restaurant lent me one. I think I've still got it. And you
0: (laughs) ran off into the darkness and that was it. And And then he was born like three hours later.
1: Yeah, he was born on the actual stroke of midnight. The hospital said they can't remember a child being born actually on the stroke. It wasn't 11.59 and it wasn't one minute past it was right on the stroke of midnight
0: he couldn't wait to join us for dinner i think i know i mean i'd only probably just got home got rid of the rain washed my hair and you'd sent a text going theo's been born although i didn't know he was theo at the time so i feel very connected to oh, him you
1: are. The next, the, when we are allowed all to meet up you've got you've got to meet this little chap he's very sweet <laughs> but it's sad because we only got halfway through our dinner so we've got to we've got to take a, a rain check on that actually when
0: we can yeah one drink and one course and that was it so we've definitely got to uh, get that down and then but then four weeks later it was so then we went into crazy world I
1: know
0: so, did, you, um, did you stay in London you.
1: or did you go to the country
0: no I stayed in London because I felt more kind of I mean at first I wasn't sure you know I was worried that it was going to be like you know Italy or somewhere where if yeah. I went to the country I might not be allowed back to London so I was yeah, kind of yeah. And, and and so i stayed in london of course we had no idea for how long or anything and so i i was here but uh, in london but that was that was cool and then and then when i could feel i also didn't want to suddenly turn up in the in the country like a second homer suddenly here i am no i know uh, and i felt also had so much going on with work because with theaters closing and and It was a massive, um, you know, there was a a lot of phone calls, a lot of Zoom, a lot of people not knowing, you know, what was going on. So I had to kind of be tuned in.
1: How many productions of Mamma Mia are there around the world?
0: Well, there was probably at the time about eight or something at the time. There was London, there was the tour, there was Helsinki, Korea, Japan, various. So everything stopped uh which was but london you know nobody just nobody knew you know building mm. up the week before That's everyone right. kept asking and then suddenly that the you know the the plug was pulled at kind of five thirty on the evening
1: did you get a directive from the government saying the theatres have got to close
0: uh me at that at the time it had they had to immediately close i mean we had no warning no kind of tomorrow or uh, so everyone, in fact, the audience had started coming to the theatre for the show that night and the cast were already in doing their warm-up. And then, uh, and, and so it was like 500 audience had started to arrive
1: oh and God. the
0: cast were doing their warm-up and then there and then kind of just before the half or uh, earlier than that they were told. And it was awful for you know, me as the producer, because you can't take the response, you can't, you know, people were asking kind of days before. But, uh, you know, people people were still booking, people were still coming. We just didn't know. And you can't stop a show until you're told by the government. Although mm. You just can't just go, I think we'll stop. Mm. And so the whole West End just, you know, went into darkness and it was very um, confusing for everyone. And I don't think any of us knew for how long. I mean, I remember at the time, Someone's saying, well, I think it will be till August or September. And I mm. thought, no, that's ridiculous. Mm. And here we are.
1: I know. Do you t- do you kind of talk to other producers and, of shows? And you know, I mean, have you got like a conglomerate, the way you all discuss what you're going to do?
0: Not, yes, a bit. I mean, you have to, because, of course, you know, I'm in a, a camera Macintosh theatre, a Delfont Macintosh theatre. So, mm-hmm. you know, they hone several the big many of the big theatres, Andrew Lloyd Webber owns many of the others, yeah. uh, Nika Burns owns so and through the Society of West End Theatres you get information and of course all the unions, there's endless talking and and in fact we were all all talking on a on a radio show yesterday on magic, but of course all from different parts of the country. But yeah. yes, I mean obviously everyone's on the same page. Some shows are trying to open earlier if they can especially if they have a maybe a younger audience but a, a show you know they are juggernauts to open them people say oh well should you can with social distancing and and you can't I mean you know they cost a lot of money to put on and run and if you've only got 30% of the audience yeah it, you know it's not gonna do anyone any favors and you know yourself as an actress that's been on stage you need the audience you know yep. you can't just uh
1: well especially a show like mamma mia i mean it's that the the that's what's so amazing about that show because you get the audience really get involved don't they
0: yes they really it. it's a community i mean they uh, they love it and you know the whole event going to the theater and everyone loves the story of it and they sit and then they, at the end you know stand up and 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 that but that is you know the musical theater audience uh-huh. is a kind of Community, isn't it? it? You go there to have a nice time, and if you can't, and now they're saying, you know, singing on stage is you know difficult, but also we have to take care of the cast and the musicians and the crew, and of course, you know how tiny theatres are backstage. So, none of those things have really been worked out yet until they are. We can't be back, which is Mm -hmm. incredibly tough, even if you're in a massive theatre. I know some shows have tried it There's a show that's been running super since Seattle but but I mean also to put the shows on now costs a lot of money because if they'd come off for a few weeks you would just kind of you know everyone come back maybe do a couple of rehearsals dust off the set and off you go yeah. but now it's almost putting on a new show you know it's it's of you've course. got to remarket it, you've got to re-put the tickets on sale, you've got to you know, the cast, some people might want to be in it still, some might not, yeah. you don't know
1: Well let's all just hope that in the not too distant future.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a it's a calamity but there's there's worse.
1: I think, I I, I can't believe it, it's going to get much better before next year
0: I think I was kind of in denial thinking it would be, hoping mm. it would be before then but as we go through the winter and Mm. everyone getting colds and things but but you know i i'm positive hoping for next spring i mean for me that would be amazing because it'll be a Mamma mia anniversary we opened april the 6th 21 years ago oh my is Um, it 21 years ago oh
1: my goodness i can remember you coming (laughs) to our (laughs) this must be what 23 years ago, 24, coming to our house for dinner. I cooked dinner. You came to our flat and you said, I've had this idea. It's a bit crazy, but I've had this idea. (laughs) I'll never forget as long as I live. And we listened and you you said, I've got this idea. I want to turn... Uh, the ABBA music into a musical. I can't remember if you had the n- the name by then, did you? I can't remember.
0: I don't know, because I think it went through different names. I think it might have been called, you know, Winner Takes It All, or it definitely had an ABBA name or Take a Chance on Me. I hadn't become Mamma Mia yet.
1: And I remember thinking it's such a brilliant idea, but you, th- you said to us that night, the trouble is um, either Bjorn or Benny you know, the two guys from Abbott, they, they weren't sure whether they they liked the idea. And you said, but I'm going to persuade them. <laughs> <laughs> and how long did it take oh. to persuade them?
0: Well, it probably took about that, about 20 years. That, you know, I don't blame <laughs> them, I guess. They didn't, they, <laughs> they, needed, they, they needed an element of trust. Yeah, it was, I remember, yeah, and you and Lee were so supportive because uh, we'd met. Well, we met um, yeah, when, well, going back to, to wait, yeah, we wait. met in the 80s when you were in, I think you and Lee were in Madame Suzatska, the movie directed yeah. by John Schlesinger with Shirley MacLaine. That's right. And I kind of was a bit starstruck and hung out with you all. And I'd managed to get a job on the production to kind of conning them all into the fact I could raise sponsorship. I had no idea what that meant, but I think John Schlesinger thought it was quite fun if I got a picture for Coca Cola with you on or something. So I don't know, funny. but I, I was just so kind of wanted to get behind the scene and movies. So I'd worked in theatre and and uh,
1: But we hit it off immediately, didn't we?
0: Yeah. And then we were gonna to work together and then we didn't and then we stayed friends.
1: Of course, I mean, you know, because you know, and there then are people, I ended up pitching. <laughs> yeah, there are people that you meet during your life that you know you'll never probably see again. You get on, but you know, but there are other people you meet that you really connect with, and I think you and, and Lee and I were that ilk. Really, we just got on yeah. really well. We had a couple of really good projects that we couldn't get going.
0: I was really, really keen to find a movie project for you and I was working for a movie company and um, I think that's when we we spent quite a lot of time together. Um, And of course, we had so much in common with Broadway and London and I think Lee was doing um, Merchant of Venice with Dustin.
1: With Dustin Hoffman, yeah. Wow, it takes me back.
0: So our paths paths collided, really, all the time. But my biggest memory was my mum was so impressed, you know, (laughs) because you being the icon that you are and the cultural icon, the symbol of all kind of gorgeousness. And years before, in the kind of 70s, I remember my mum saying, I've just seen Twiggy with her mother having tea in Debenhams. (laughs) (laughs)
1: You grew up in London, right?
0: I grew up in under North, North London, kind of Hertfordshire Way. Oh, okay. Um, which I think was a bit the direction you were in, wasn't it? I was northwest
1: no? near Wembley. You know. In the yeah, suburbs. well, I
0: was more kind of Mill Hill Barnet. Oh, I know. Well, so... it's the same
1: direction, yeah. Actually, my sister Viv worked in Mill Hill in a hairdresser. She was a hairdresser many moons ago. So did you always want to, did you train to be an actress? Is that what you wanted to do? Or did you always want to kind of get into production?
0: Oh, yeah, I never wanted to be an actress. Um, I just completely admire actresses and actors. But no, I always loved behind the scenes, just always Mm -hmm. like doing things behind the scenes. So right from school plays, I was making all the props or bossing everyone around. I wrote a terrible play when I was like 10 years old, which was a complete ripoff of Upstairs, Downstairs, called Ask Tweeny. And I remember just the poor parents had to watch everybody do this play. I have no idea why. <laughs> um, and I was doing the scene changes in charge of everything. <laughs> and that was when I was like 10 or 12. And then I just so then I would you know I I actually go and work on other people's school plays and do makeup and stuff anything to work that stage, but what I was really doing was also horse riding, and I thought that was going to be my career. I didn't think theatre was going to be my career. So well, that's
1: interesting. Um, yeah, because you, you you've got some horses, haven't you?
0: I have now. Yes, there mm. was a big gap, but when I grew up, I all I wanted to do was be a professional rider or teach riding and you know the reality like my parents weren't um you know they we didn't live on a farm you didn't we didn't have you know i had a horse or two horses and i did work for some of the big riders so i did kind of get experience going to some of the big international shows and my dad said you know you can't keep the horses if you're not going to earn a living so what are you going to do (laughs) yeah because horses are expensive aren't they they're expensive and I was kind of now doing A-levels so uh, I suddenly had this thought I wanted to go to study stage management and I don't think anyone really knew what that was and so I looked at you know central school and RADA and Lambda and the Guildhall School of Music and that's where I went
1: which was fantastic
0: and then goodbye horses um My first job out of Guildhall, which in those days, there was only seven people on the course and you had to have your equity card uh, to be a stage manager and particularly to work in the West End. So that was the whole thing. It's different now. And as a woman, being a stage manager, you're often seen as though you really want to be an actress, but you just want to get your equity cut. And oh, yeah. I was always kind of, you know, especially being kind of tall and blonde, I was like, no, seriously, I don't want to be an actress. I'm really good at changing plugs, and, you know, I really want to sweep up behind the stage. So I went to Leicester Haymarket, which was the most fabulous theatre uh, run by director Robin Midgley, and they did great productions there. Uh, Well, then, I don't think it's there now in the same form, but in those days, in the 70s, -hmm. there were these amazing rep theatres, as you know, know. across the UK. And I got my taste for for musicals. And there was a young producer uh, who had no money who would put on shows up there called Cameron McIntosh.
1: That's hysterical.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he was always broke. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone was always complaining he didn't spend enough money on the costumes. Oh, that's so funny. And and then many, many, well, not many years later, that was like 1978. And then in the early 1980s, I was asked to be one of the stage managers of Cats. And so our paths crossed again. And of course, my path crossed with Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, So everything was kind of serendipitous from leaving Guildhall.
1: That's amazing. Mm. And then you first worked with, is it Bjorn and Benny on chess, wasn't it?
0: Well, or then, did you know them before Having that? done Cats. So, uh, no, I, I just before that. So having worked on um, Cats, which was, you can't really get much more exciting as a stage management job because mm. it was, you know, kind of mad and thrilling. And uh, but I thought, I want to really learn more about the behind the scenes, you know, production. And uh, so I got a job working for Tim Rice, who then was working with Benny Anderson and Bjorn, uh Uves, and uh, on Chess. My first job was to pick them up from the airport. <laughs> that's amazing and I was nervous I'm still nervous (laughs) I'm still nervous when I meet them but and that's when I fell in love with the Abba song oh well I know I've known them now since well since then I mean you know they were 35 or something um yeah I was like 22 and uh I met them and then and I was never a huge Abba kind of i mean i loved abba and and danced at dancing queen and stuff but i was into more rock and stuff (laughs) yes exactly don't ask me to think and um, i love
1: that's one of my favorites dancing queen
0: when it does it sets you on you know it's it's a you know i defy anyone not
1: to get up and dance when dancing queen comes on anywhere
0: (laughs) yeah exactly no exactly well that was my that was my pitch really yeah um so, yes, so, yeah, so I, I met them and admired them. And then I thought, God, I've met the guys that write the ABBA songs. I, I'm going to listen to ABBA all the time. And <laughs> that's what I did. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> became I became kind of, not obsessed by it, but I, and I would say to them, you know, don't you think these songs could be a musical? And they'd be like, oh, that'd be silly. But they really, at the time, were doing other things.
1: But you never gave up, Judy. I'll give you that. That was amazing. I'll never forget yeah, that. Yeah, I never reason. gave up. You never did. Well, I think if you have something that you really, really believe in, and you did.
0: I was so passionate. Yeah, it was a big, pa- it was a big passion, but also to have the know-how. And I had got the kind of skills then. I mean, I, I couldn't have approached them cold and said, I've got this idea, but they mm. knew me. And I think there was a mm. certain trust.
1: Yeah, because the, the, they always... St- seemed to have been very, very private, all of the ABBA members, that you don't see that many interviews with them. and
0: Well, and the whole thing was, it was never going to be about them. It was never going to be their lives. It was going to be a story, which other people then didn't understand. I had to get other people to understand you were not going to have people dressed as Agneta and Frida on stage. It was going to be a story.
1: So who came up with the storyline? Was it you or Catherine or Philida? It,
0: it was... Catherine, so I knew how the the songs that we should use. The you know big inspiration was "Winner Takes It All." That was yeah. the big heartbreak song. That was the story song that that inspired me. And you know, I studied the songs that I knew. There were the big kind of numbers, but the comedy numbers as well, like "Take a Chance," mm-hmm. "Lay All Your Love," "Honey, Honey." And as Bjorn said to me, who knew my songs were funny? Um, <laughs> and and so I it was finding the right story. And I did talk to several people and writers. And then I met Katherine Johnson, who had written some plays. And, and I knew, like, music a lot. And we just got on really well. But she just came. She just said, when I, I said to her, it's got to be two generations. It's got to be something that reminds you of... Having a good time because that's what ABBA music does. You, it's got to take you on a, on an odyssey, on a journey, like a summer holiday or a wedding. And she went a mother and a daughter, and a wedding. And I was like, you're in. And um, we became firm friends. But also she wrote, you know, fabulous stage play. And then we bought and Philida came on board in early. Which I feel, you know, so actually back then to be working with three women, which now is kind of hailed as, you know, diverse and interesting, but it just seemed completely natural and organic that I had reached out to. And we're all three very different women. And I think we probably all influenced those women's roles in in Mamma Mia.
1: Oh, absolutely, 100%. And I think that had a lot to do with the huge success of it, don't you think?
0: Apart from the music. Um, people do see themselves in that, mm. you know, whatever configuration, and they are great roles for women. And of course, you get now the younger generations that that love the Sophie characters and all want to, to you know, and the gorgeous boys and things, but also those those women.
1: <laughs> when Carly and I went to see, we went to a kind of a morning showing of the sequel, and when it came to the song when she sings, you know, with the daughter, we both held hands and just sobbed in the sit- <laughs> <laughs> I've never cried so much in my life. And there's Carly, sit, my daughter, sitting next to me, aged 30, and we were just blubbered.
0: Well, in the first movie with Flipping Through My Fingers and then in the second movie with I've Been Waiting For You, I mean, they are, and I think I think dads as well, I think they all... Oh my God! Even shooting in the second movie, shooting that scene, we were all kind of yeah in in tears.
1: Carly had Joni, my granddaughter, who's now five. She says every time she hears slipping through my Finger, she just breaks down because now, as a mum, she sees you know her baby now being a little girl, and she says, I you know it's just and it, you know growing it, up, leaving home. Yeah, growing up, leaving home, but um.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's why it's kind of lasted and resonated because cause the storytelling mm. um is so is so strong and so and the casting I mean we've always had amazing casts I mean it's quite I always Chuckle a bit because when we started, all the dynamos you know, the three strong women roles, the Donna Sheridan and the you know, the roles that Meryl Streep played in the movie, yeah. Julie Waters and Christine Bransky were all in their early 40s, and now we're kind of casting upwards of 60 because I think because I'm getting older, all so women are getting younger. I think, I think. <laughs>
1: when you first decided you were going to ask meryl were you, were you were you nervous i mean cuz you know she's probably one of the biggest film stars in the world right and not really known for musicals but it was a brilliant bit of casting
0: yeah i mean i think philada lloyd who directed the stage show and the movie and i cooked up that you know, our favorite list. And she was top of it, which was kind of quite ambitious. And I think people were slightly kind of raised eyebrows, like in your dreams. (laughs) But I think also we kind of broke the barrier of age because I think, you know, there was a moment, you know, surely you're going to be casting somebody in their 30s. And we're like, no, we think Meryl, and I'd seen Meryl doing Mother Courage uh, at the public in New York in the park. And she was incredible, and I—I'm thinking, good, she's a Donna Sheridan character. And I actually rather brazenly called her agent and said, um, "We would like—we were doing the film with Universal, and you're meant to, you know, follow the rules and do certain things, like report to the studio first before you contact major actress. But I didn't. I just called the agent and said, "We'd be really interested in Meryl Streep playing the mayor," and he was like, "Yeah, whatever." And then he must have called her. Well, I know she told me this. He called her and said, they've offered you the lead role in Mamma Mia. And she went, I am Mamma Mia. I'm doing That's it. brilliant. And everything changed. And, and Phyllida and I had never done a major movie before. And we all joked because we were going to have T-shirts saying we were in before Meryl. Because once Meryl came on board, you know, everyone came on board. So and it was... It was, a, it was a, yeah, a, she loved a, it, it.
1: It was slightly a big hit, wasn't it? <laughs>
0: It was slightly a big hit. And she, you know, she was so ambitious for the film and so good at working with everyone and so loved it and just loved singing those songs. Well, she's such a lovely lady.
1: I mean, I don't know her well. I've met her a couple of times in New York, but she's... And she is. I mean, I I can't think of anyone else. She's just so versatile. She can actually do anything. Somebody's once said to us, yeah, Meryl, because we were saying, you know, she... She can do any accent. She. They said, "Yeah, but can she do American?" Because <laughs> 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 she can do anything. You know. Yeah, she's, she can, um, and
0: she really wanted. She said to she said to us, "I want to do this because I, you know, I want to do. I want to. I want to, you know, up the game a hundred, two hundred percent on on energy." And and she had nine massive numbers. I think to yeah. to get through. And I remember her being quite upset when she was coming, you know, I've only got one that takes it all to go. But um, she she brought so much brio and, and heart to everything. Um, and, of course, with all those major stars in that movie and the second movie, they're terrified of singing and dancing. So... yeah. I had complete control of them because I could threaten them with a new dance or a song. <laughs> you know, Anthony Van Laast, the choreographer, was like, "No, no, keep them away from us, keep them That's away." So and of course, in the first film, it's always a joke. Colin Firth and Pierce, you know, they they enjoyed themselves so much because they got the young, beautiful dancers to give them top tips. You'd find them in a corner going, "Okay, shuffle, shuffle, step, shuffle." You know, can we do that again? <laughs>
1: Brilliant. And then getting Cher into the second film was that was a brilliant was that your idea?
0: It was actually because oh, I love her so much. We weren't sure how we would you know, we we knew, you know, we definitely had a a great script that was written by Old Parker this time and um I'd always said, you know, we didn't know how much Merrill was going to do of a second film. Um she doesn't or you know, she doesn't do sequels and also you know where was it going to go and what would she sing, et etc so yeah. i thought well we need a we need to have some some other dynamo power here and also how it, how you know we need to take the story into another place so i you know i said we've got to have add to our already fabulous cast another and of course another generation you mm-hmm. know to have Cher, and of course, how hilarious that she was going to be playing Merrill's mother. And they're oh, only like two years between oh, each oh, other. Brilliant. So, But Cher was, I asked Cher about the first movie before we talked to Christine Bransky. So I'd met her to ask her to play the role of Tanya all those years ago, like 2006. Mm-hmm. And um, she didn't. <laughs> I couldn't get her out of my head. So this time she said yes and was very tickled she was going to be playing Merrill's mother and they were hilarious the day the couple of days they were shooting together
1: <laughs> but I have to say Cher singing I mean I love Cher's voice but Cher singing those songs because I usually you only want to hear you know the Abba songs but actually Cher's um album that she did after the film I think it's fabulous don't you you know, so. she
0: then became very into her ABBA songs yeah. and I knew she'd always liked Mamma Mia because that's why I approached her all the years ago because she had seen the show but mm-hmm. hearing that voice you know the way she storytells those songs and mm. certainly Fernando um and that was you know complete, yeah she
1: gets she's obviously. one of those singers that gets you kind of in your tummy do you know what I mean they kind of yeah absolutely oh right my way.
0: god that voice so and I remember saying again to Benny and Bjorn, you know, we'll get Cher. Do you think you'll get Cher? And then saying, well, who do you think this, that, and the other? And obviously Cher to sing Fernando. And then she just, it was it was uh, incredible. And then Andy Garcia to to play Fernando yeah, was, amazing. you know, just kept. And we did have a couple of days with them all there. And it was um And, you know, the greatest coup was getting Cher into Super Trooper, into the end credits at the end, because she was coming in to do her number of Fernando and her scenes. And I'm always, you know, we have to have that moment at the end, which is the feeling like people get in the theatre where you're joining in, you're with those people on that island. So she said to Anthony Van Nars Corrigan, so what's the song then? (laughs) He said, Super Trooper. She's like, I hate that song. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "Well, we're going to do it like this." And then he kind of blocked it all out for her. She was like, "Oh, I see." Anyway, then we couldn't stop her. She changed her whole schedule. She wanted to do be in it twice. So oh, how you know, funny. she she was she focused. I mean, she loved it. She just didn't want it to stop, which was and you poor
1: things. You were all stuck out in that horrible place in Greece. <laughs>
0: Well, well the, I know. Well, how, the, how many months you think, were you
1: out there for both films? Well, on the
0: first movie, we were out in Skopelos in Greece, yeah. um, which was, we shot all the songs inside at Pinewood on the first mm-hmm. film in the studio, because you kind of need the protection. You can't be out in the elements to do those big numbers, apart from Christine Bransky was on the beach and Meryl Streep was on the clifftop for Winner it Takes It All. Um, and then the second movie, we were in Croatia in a beautiful island called Viz, oh, pretending to be Greece. Yeah. yeah, heaven it was. Uh, hard to believe that we're in lockdown now. And we, there was, I don't know, 500 well, the Gre- crew. The we Greek all...
1: tourist board must love you.
0: <laughs> oh, I you think so. I think, just... there's, I think there are um, Mamma Mia tours and all kinds yeah, of things I mean. that goes on on... Skopulos, and I think Piers Brosnan's flip-flops are kind of, you know, mounted on a wall somewhere in <laughs> honour. a... Um... That's hysterical.
1: <laughs> that is so funny. Uh, is
0: so, funny. yeah, I can't come, They were amazing places to show. And again, the actors, of course, you know, it was like some kind of special holiday because we chose these beautiful places. And because we were kind of captured on islands so you know normally in a film shoot people can come and go you know they go well you know so and coming in for a week and then we're shipping them out well it was so difficult to get people in and out from the islands and also with the weather and things so everyone just had to stay and have a nice time.
1: I say it must have been like a wonderful holiday for some not <laughs> for, for the s- producer I say not for the producers well you're all right now they, they've I think they've been quite a big success haven't they
0: <laughs> mm. yes few that's done but no it was fun it was amazing I think because people have a nice time I you mean, know, while you're making a movie and you've got other songs playing you really don't have the usual grumps of no, that's true. Well, actually, you know,
1: I, I, as you know, I did that musical on Broadway, what, 30 odd years ago now. And if you're doing, and ours was, ours were Gershwin songs, which are equally beautiful, not quite so upbeat. beautiful. But, but it's amazing. Once you hear that orchestra strike up, even though you go in sometimes and think, oh, I don't think I can get through this, another three hours of this, you know, you might feel tired or just fed up. And then you hear that orchestra strike up and the music playing and it just like adrenaline. It's like it's like um, a magic potion. And I'm sure that happened. Well, not only on the stage versions of Mamma Mia, but on the film. And it just music, Um, music, you know, well, we all know music takes you places. You know, it's great memory maker, isn't it? If you hear a song, yeah. it takes you back to either a good place or a sad place, but it, it does take you physically there. That's Which the is
0: why, yes, it's so important to, you know, to have movies like this and theatre and you can't just stay at home and listen to music. You have to kind of no. share it and that's what these experiences do.
1: But I think film um, filmmaking is starting up again, from what I've heard. I've got a few friends who are doing some stuff on film, slowly.
0: Slowly, I think it's very tough. I mean, I'm not doing one at the moment. I'm uh, talking to a lot of people that are, and, you know, there's a lot of restrictions. And, of course, added to the budget with the whole management of lockdown and covid not quite sure if you're allowed to do kissing scenes or anything.
1: I'd say, what what if it's, you know, if there's a sex scene, can they do that?
0: I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, I think they're already, where they're working on, you know, the crew have to be, and of course, with all our our world, you know, when you work on, you know, film, you know, you know it's all about the camaraderie and working together and everyone mm-hmm. kind of leans in and puts around, you know, chats and goes into huddles, especially on a film set. Yeah. And now I think the camera team has to be, separated from the other you know you all have to be in certain pockets socially distanced on the set which is quite tough I think.
1: So have you got projects you're working on that you kind of are just kind of on hold for the moment or are you still kind of putting things together for when we can get through this?
0: Yeah, I mean, really, I've and I'm working. I mean, my office is. I mean, we we're, we're everyone's working from home, but kind of working towards getting the shows back and getting the shows back in other countries. I mean, we were meant to open in Hamburg in October, and that got postponed to the end of November. And today I heard that's postponed another year. We have the UK tour and international tour to get up again next year, and of course all those dates have you know because all the shows touring of now it's like juggling jellyfish trying to work out which show goes to which theatre but hopefully they'll all come back and then we have other countries and we have secondary rights which is where kind of the the kind of serious amateur productions and and even schools course, do that yeah. and they've all been shut down
1: oh I'd love to see a school production of Mamma Mia I bet it's fabulous <laughs>
0: Well, kids, they just yeah, they love it. I mean, I it's very. Do of go, do they do they understand the nuance of the story? But it doesn't seem to matter.
1: No, it doesn't matter. They know. I mean, my little <laughs> little Joni who's five, she knows a couple of the ABBA songs, and she loves them, and she does. Yeah, no, they, they love dance it. And they all, to the yeah, dancing queen and five year old, they love, love it absolutely.
0: They love coming to the theatre to see it I mean I've I've seen like matinee performances kind of especially since the movies that we've got much younger audiences and and five-year-olds and six-year-olds and they just remember this sweet little girl holding on to her father's hand going you don't understand daddy she doesn't find her father <laughs> <laughs> you know she's taken it so seriously <laughs> that is absolutely brilliant that's so funny so no, I'm just busy getting busy, getting busy really, and it's it's great, you know, my team in the office, and we're all, talk, but it's never the same. It's not the same as just walking into a room and chatting to someone, is it? So it gets a bit kind of mad. You do 25 calls to organise one thing because you're all, and of course it's been hilarious because all my a lot of my the the girls that work for me all have young children, so
1: of course. Um,
0: dealing with the, they've had to deal with the homeschooling and then me nattering on. And there was a hilarious moment a few weeks ago when my PA's son, who's four, shouted, I'm more important than Judy, mummy. <laughs> and he's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. That's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I love it. Out, out, of the, out of the
1: mouth of babes, right? Absolutely,
0: brilliant. I know, and they. I think they think I'm a mix between Mary Poppins and Cruella Deville because they just <laughs> all they know, all they know is that their mother is going Shh, I'm talking to Judy. Oh, I see. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> yeah,
1: but the d- d- children do speak the truth. They do. They have no kind of cut off of that's right or wrong. Um, I don't think you learn that till you're older. It's just what they what they say is what they <laughs> they mean. Have you taken up anything new in lockdown? By the way, i had been doing jigsaw puzzles and knitting.
0: Well, you were always good at handcrafts and things, but you've also been walking and organising a new house and yeah, that's true. Lots of grandchildren. What
1: have, you, what have you learned
0: anything? Well, sadly not. I had ambitions, but uh, <laughs> I've read, I've read some, I've read quite a lot, but I've become addicted to a Peloton. I bought myself a Peloton bike, so I now pretend I'm Victoria Pendleton and I spin at home on this bike. I'm a bit worried I might suddenly keel over and have a heart attack. But Honey, <laughs> you must be getting really <laughs> And it's fit. great. I am quite fit and they have these women, or you have men that shout at you, so I'm never lonely because I just go on the Peloton. <laughs> There's a woman going, It's all fight, no fear, be a warrior That's And so I love it. Yeah.
1: Well I love you very much. And I can't wait I to love see you. I I can't wait to see you properly.
0: I can't wait to see you properly, my love to Lee and to Carly, and I can't wait to meet.
1: You've got it because you were you were part of his birth, really.
0: (laughs) I was part of it, part of it. I remember that night will never be forgotten. Thank you. But I love you
1: lots, and we'll talk very soon. And thank you for having tea with me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was so brilliant talking to Judy. I haven't seen her. Since that night my little grandson was born and um, we've got the rest of that dinner to catch up on. But I hope you enjoyed meeting her. She's a lovely lady and, you know, what she's brought to the world in Mamma Mia is phenomenal, really. If you've enjoyed listening to Tea with Twiggy, please take a moment to give us a lovely five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people to find the show. If you haven't done so already... Please subscribe to this podcast so you auto-magically get the next episodes for free. And do tell all your friends and family about it too. If you want to connect with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Twiggy, or you can find me on Instagram at Twiggy Lawson. My thanks go to all the people that have helped this podcast happen. Many thanks to James Carroll and all the team at North Bank Talent Management. Thanks to all the team at Stripped Media, including Ben Williams, who edits the show, my producer, Kobe Omanaka, and executive producers, Tom Wally and Dave Corkery. The music you can hear now is my version of Waterloo Sunset by The Kinks. If you'd like to hear the whole song, you can find it and all the other songs I've recorded on iTunes and Spotify. So check it out. I look forward to you joining me for my next episode. So see you then. Bye. Just heard a stripped media production.